Welcome to a history of the space race podcast. Episode 46, Gemini 11, High Altitude Flight. By the summer of 1966, the Gemini program was about to come to a close. There were only two manned missions remaining, Gemini 11 and Gemini 12. NASA's attention was already beginning to turn toward the Apollo program, which was expected to launch its first manned mission in January 1967. The Gemini program office accordingly considered closely what objectives could and should still be accomplished by the remaining Gemini missions. One proposed objective for Gemini 11 was a circumlunar flight. This was not the first time that NASA had given consideration to a circumlunar flight using a Gemini spacecraft. In fact, James Chamberlain, the engineer who conceived of the Gemini program back in late 1961, had originally proposed that Gemini be used for a circumlunar flight. The idea also resurfaced a few times since then, though each time the idea was snuffed out mainly for cost reasons. A circumlunar flight by Gemini 11 seemed eminently feasible. The previous mission, Gemini 10, had just proven that the Agena main engine worked and could push a Gemini spacecraft into high orbit. Why not use the Agena's main engine for translunar injection and push Gemini 11 all the way to the moon? The journey might take about eight days, but the Gemini spacecraft could certainly manage that. Gemini 7 had lasted in Earth orbit for 14 days. From an engineering perspective, a circumlunar flight was possible. But a circumlunar flight for Gemini 11 was shot down for political reasons. NASA Administrator James Webb refused to permit it, even though his Deputy Administrator Robert Siemens supported the idea. Webb believed that, with tightening budgets, NASA's funds should remain committed to the main objective, the Apollo program. Moreover, performing a circumlunar flight with a Gemini spacecraft might undermine the Apollo program. Apollo was just about to become operational, and if the United States could reach the moon without the Apollo spacecraft, Congress might start to wonder why they had committed so much money to the Apollo program. As spectacular as a Gemini circumlunar flight might have been, at the end of the day, the moon was best left for Apollo. Although a circumlunar flight was not in the cards, NASA 
did select four important mission objectives for Gemini 11. First, Gemini 11 was to achieve direct ascent rendezvous within a Gina target vehicle. Direct ascent rendezvous refers to rendezvous before completing the first orbit. The direct ascent rendezvous would simulate the same type of rendezvous that the Apollo Lunar Excursion Module would need to achieve when returning from the surface of the Moon to dock with the Apollo Command Module. Second, Gemini 11 was to perform a very high altitude flight. Pete Conrad, veteran of the Gemini 5 mission and now commander of Gemini 11, lobbied hard to include this objective. Conrad wanted to use the Agena main engine to fly Gemini 11 as high as NASA would allow him. To justify the high-altitude flight, Conrad argued that the objective could be used to gather information to inform the design of the next-generation high-altitude weather satellites. At the time, the National Weather Bureau operated high-altitude satellites that produced only low-resolution images. There was some debate about whether improving image resolution and adding color would be worth the cost. Conrad argued that he could take photos to gather that information to help determine the next generation of weather satellites. NASA agreed to the proposal. Third, Gemini 11 was to include an EVA to determine whether astronauts could work in space. Specifically, NASA wanted one of the astronauts to work with power tools designed for the Apollo program during an EVA. The goal was to see whether it was practical to expect an astronaut to be able to operate power tools or turn a wrench in light of the problems discovered during Eugene Cernan's EVA in Gemini 9. Fourth and finally, Gemini 11 was to perform tether experiments with the Agena target vehicle. During one of the EVAs, an astronaut was to tie Gemini 11 and the Agena together with a long tether. Gemini 11 was to experiment with station keeping using this tether. If it was successful, then perhaps in the future, station keeping between two spacecraft be done without constantly expending fuel. Gemini 11 was also to perform an artificial gravity experiment by using the tether to impart rotational speed for the Gemini and Agena spacecraft. Of all the mission objectives, this last objective to perform tether experiments best illustrated how far the nation's manned spaceflight program had advanced under Gemini. NASA was now seeking to master advanced and complex maneuvers in space. On September 12, 1966, the Gemini 11 mission began. As with previous missions, the Agena target vehicle went first on top of an atlas. What made this launch different was that, 
when it was the Gemini spacecraft's turn to launch, Gemini 11 had only a two-second launch window. This extremely tight launch window had been dictated by the Direct Ascent Rendezvous objective. Launching precisely within a two-second window would have been unthinkable just a few years ago. But the repeated launch experience provided by the Gemini program made this possible. At 9.42 a.m. and 25 and a half seconds, just a half second into the two-second launch window, the Titan II rocket shoved Gemini 11 towards space with near-perfect accuracy. Upon orbital insertion, Gemini 11 was only 430 kilometers behind the Agena. Pete Conrad and his co-pilot, Richard Gordon, immediately began running calculations for any course corrections. Because they were rapidly closing on Agena 11, and because they were out of communications range from the ground, Conrad and Gordon had to do these calculations themselves with the onboard computer. They made their course correction, and when they activated the rendezvous radar, they locked onto the Agena immediately. 85 minutes after launch, Gemini 11 succeeded in rendezvousing with the Agena. The first direct ascent rendezvous ever had been achieved. Conrad and Gordon then took the time to each take turns practicing rendezvous with the Agena. They would dock and undock once in the daylight and once in the shadow of the Earth. Both of them found that docking was quite easy to perform. They also test-fired the Agena's main engine, but then powered down for an 8-hour rest period. After the rest period, the next major mission objective was the EVA. Conrad and Gordon had reserved four hours to get their spacesuits on, but they found that they had practiced this so much that they were nearly ready in less than an hour. Rather than performing the EVA early, they decided to stop to stay on schedule. This turned out probably to be a mistake, as they ended up getting warm sitting around in all their gear. At the allotted time, however, Gordon got out to perform the EVA. He had two main tasks. First, he was to head over to the Agena to attach a tether connected to Gemini 11. The tether was to be used in the later tether experiments between the two spacecraft. After this was done, Gordon's second objective was to go to the adapter section of Gemini 11. There, he was to obtain a maneuvering gun and a power tool experiment. The first task of attaching a tether to the Agena was much more difficult than Gordon anticipated. He attempted to attach the tether by straddling his legs over the docking connection between Gemini 11 and the Agena. During training, he had been able to stabilize his whole body by straddling this docking connection and then use both arms to attach the tether. 
During the actual mission, however, he found that his pressurized spacesuit kept trying to make him float away. He had to use one hand to steady himself, leaving only one other hand to attach the tether. As Gordon would later explain, the simulators that NASA had for EVA training were simply inadequate. Gordon's training had taken place on an aircraft making parabolic flights. This is where a plane pulls up to gain altitude and then push down to descend rapidly. During the descent, there is a momentary period of weightlessness. Although the maneuver did generate a sense of artificial zero-g, the effect lasted less than a minute. And each time the plane had to pull up again during the training, there was an opportunity for rest. Gordon found that the simulator was totally unrealistic. During the EVA, he had no opportunity for rest. He had to constantly struggle to stabilize himself and manipulate the tether clamp. Gordon did manage to attach the tether to Gina, but he was totally exhausted afterwards. He was sweating so much that the sweat began to enter his eyes, causing them to sting. His first objective complete, Gordon headed back to the Gemini cabin with the intent to eventually arrive at the adapter section in the back to retrieve the maneuvering gun. But when Gordon got to the cabin, Conrad could see Gordon was too tired to go on. There was no way Gordon could make it to the adapter section and then perform the power tool experiment. The EVA ended early without completing the second objective. Gemini 11 left unanswered whether or not an astronaut could effectively work in space. So far, NASA had mixed results with EVAs. Cernan had been totally unable to complete his tasks during Gemini 9. Collins managed to retrieve a package from an Agena during Gemini 10. And now Gordon had only completed half his EVA objectives. NASA would need to give EVAs far more consideration after Gemini 11. Gemini 11 then moved on to the next objective, high altitude flight. Approximately 40 hours into the mission, Conrad and Gordon fired the Agena's main engine. When it was over, the Agena-Gemini combination had been placed in an elliptical orbit with an apogee of 1,368 kilometers above the Earth. At this moment, Conrad and Gordon were the humans to have traveled the furthest away from the Earth. In fact, to this day, Gemini 11 holds the record for highest orbit around the Earth for a manned spacecraft. Although Apollo will send astronauts even further from the Earth to the Moon, these astronauts were not in an orbital path around the Earth. Conrad and Gordon were so far above the Earth that they could not help commenting on how round the world looked and how the blue water of the oceans 
stood out above all else from afar. During the high-altitude flight, they took over 300 photos and measured their radiation exposure, which was quite minimal. Afterwards, they fired the Agena main engine again to reduce their orbit back to about a 300-kilometer circular orbit. After taking a break to eat some food, the astronauts prepared for a second EVA. This EVA would just be a stand-up EVA. Gordon was to stand on his seat in the Gemini spacecraft to photograph star fields in the night sky. Partway through the experiment, Conrad and Gordon decided to take a break to wait until they were in a position over the United States, where they could take more photos of the stars. Both astronauts decided to take a nap. Conrad slept inside his spacesuit in the cabin, while Gordon slept standing up in zero-g with the upper part of his body in space. It was the first time someone had slept in the vacuum of space. Finally, the astronauts turned to the last mission objective, the tether experiments. Accordingly, Conrad undocked Gemini 11 from the Agena target vehicle, leaving the tether that Gordon had attached during his earlier EVA as the only remaining connection between the spacecraft. The first tether experiment was a gravity gradient stabilization experiment. During the gravity gradient experiment, Gemini 11 was to move above the Agena and continue increasing the distance between them until the tether was taut. The goal was to have the tether form a perpendicular line to the surface of the Earth. In this position, the Agena in the slightly lower orbit would act as a kind of anchor to stabilize the Gemini spacecraft in a slightly higher orbit. So I'll back up for a moment to explain this experiment a little bit more. The Earth creates a gravity well. The closer an object gets to the Earth, the stronger the force of gravity becomes. In the experiment, because the Agena is in a slightly lower orbit than Gemini 11, the force of Earth's gravity on the Agena is slightly stronger than on Gemini 11. Another way to think about this is the Agena is heavier than Gemini 11. Hence, the experiment was described as a gravity gradient experiment. The greater effect of Earth's gravity on the Agena compared to Gemini 11 would be quite slight. But with few other forces at play in the vacuum of space, the force was theoretically sufficient to act like an anchor to stabilize Gemini 11's attitude and make the same side of Gemini 11 always face toward the Earth. Why is this important? Well, way back in episode 13, when I explained why the Gemini program was going to be so important, I had you run through a few thought experiments. One of those thought experiments was to 
draw or imagine a circle, that would be the Earth. Then draw a bigger circle around that as the orbital path of a satellite. Now draw a plus sign on the orbital path on the outer circle. Move the plus sign along the orbital path and you'll see that a different part of the plus sign faces the Earth as it moves along the orbital path. In other words, if you have an antenna or a camera on the satellite that you want it to keep pointed to the Earth, the satellite would need to constantly expend fuel changing its attitude to face the Earth. The gravity gradient experiment was to determine whether attitude relative to the Earth could be maintained without constant use of fuel for attitude control. In fact, there are some satellites today that use the gravity gradient stabilization method for attitude control. On Gemini 11, however, the gravity gradient experiment did not go so well. As Gemini 11 backed away from the Agena and started rolling out the 30 meter long tether, part of it got stuck on some Velcro on the Agena spacecraft. Conrad had to thrust Gemini 11 in an out of plane direction to get the tether unstuck from the Velcro. This caused the Agena to move in an unpredictable manner that wouldn't settle down for the experiment. As a result, they had to give up on the gravity gradient experiment. But this interesting experiment will be revisited. Conrad moved on to the second tether experiment, an artificial gravity experiment. For this experiment, the first step was to impart some thrust to make the tether taut again. Then to fire the Gemini thrusters again to get the two spacecraft to start rotating around each other, with the center of gravity at some point along the tether. Getting the tether taut between Agena and Gemini 11 took some trying, but eventually the centrifugal force of the two rotating spacecraft caused the tether to straighten out. As Gemini 11 and Agena began spinning around each other, Conrad and Gordon decided to test whether they had succeeded in generating any artificial gravity. Although they did not feel any gravity, when they placed a camera against their instrument panel, it moved slowly in a straight line to the back of their cabin. This experiment showed a proof of concept for creating gravity in a spinning spacecraft. After three hours of tether experiments, Conrad jettisoned the docking bar holding onto the tether and ended the experiments. Gemini 11 then practiced co-incident rendezvous. This was basically station keeping with the Agena at a much longer distance away. After this and a few more maneuvers, the Gemini 11 mission came to an end. A little less than three days after the mission began, Gemini 11's retro rockets fired and brought the crew home. 
And with that, there was only one last Gemini mission. And we'll cover that next time, which happens just two months later in November 1966.